Hello, lovelies. Welcome to the Fat Joy Podcast, where we talk each week about how to flourish in an anti-fat world. I'm Sophia Apostle, a fat person and professional coach who loves talking to other fat people about what it's like to live within oppressive systems that marginalize our bodies and how we still dare to have the audacity and courage to reach towards our collective liberation and embrace our joy. Please know this is an adult content podcast, so there will be swears. We will be talking about harms we've experienced, and we will be rebelling against diet culture, anti-fatness, ableism, racism, etc. If you'd like to support the Fat Joy podcast, please check us out at patreon.com slash fatjoy. Oh, and I'm so glad you're here with us. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Fat Joy podcast. I'm Sophia. And today I am so excited to be talking to Cami Orange. So I first found Cami on TikTok, which I am slowly starting to figure out. Um, and Cami's videos about boundaries Oh, we're everything. I've been on a journey with boundaries, which I'm sure I'll be talking about during this episode, because um, I'm so looking forward to getting Cammy's expertise. Um, and as soon as I saw your TikToks, Cammy, I was like, I must, I must, I must talk to this person um, because oh, living in a fat body, I feel like I need a lot of boundaries and I've been bumbling my way through them. So very excited to chat with you. Welcome. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. This is going to be a fun conversation because I love to talk about being fat because I am fat. I love to talk about boundaries and I love to talk about just like why people do what they do and how to exist in this world. So it's going to be great. So good. I love it. Why do people do what they do? I feel like that's a question I ask like 30 million times a day. So it's good. So Cammy, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So I was, I, I was raised in Utah and I was raised in like a small cult subset of Mormonism by religious extremists. And then I left home at 17 and have moved all over the United States. Um, I lived in Utah and Nevada and Arizona and Montana and Massachusetts and Alabama and back to Utah and Washington and back to Utah and lots and lots of <laughs> wow so I have a lot of practice interacting with new people and introducing myself and setting boundaries and forming new relationships and something that I've noticed as I've moved a lot and traveled around the country and had a lot of interesting jobs. I've been a psychic medium. I was like a waitress at a raw food restaurant. I was an inventor's assistant. I have been a business consultant. Like I was a spiritual teacher. And so I've had this really eclectic background. And no matter what I did, I consistently bumped into people who were really struggling with boundaries. And like as a psychic medium, people have terrible boundaries with the dead. Like they think because someone is dead, they have to obey everything that dead person says. And like, that's just not how it works. Mm 
or like I was a wardrobe mentor and I help people create a vision board out of their closets and you know I'm there to show up with like what colors do you like what styles do you like and their question is my husband hates the way I dress what do I do oh I like, yeah. oh okay um, or as a business consultant, I'm like, yeah, let's talk about your website. Let's talk about, you know, your SMS messaging and like how to set this up on automatic. And people are like, but I have these issues with my clients and they keep texting me after hours. How do I set boundaries? And I soon realized it didn't matter which job I had, which career field I was working in. I consistently bumped into people who the question they had for me was, yeah, 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 you have all this expertise, but boundaries. Oh, I'm like, huh. I can take a hint from the universe. And at the beginning of 2020, so I closed and sold my spiritual business at the end of 2019 in December. And then in February of 2020, I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be a boundary coach. And I had workshops planned and I had classes planned and I, great. And then I was like, Oh, <laughs> just kidding. We're going to do this all online. And so I started on TikTok in the begin in February of um, 2020. And, you know, everything has just grown from there. And now I have clients in eight countries. I'm currently at almost 250,000 followers. I have a book I'm working on. And it has been a really amazing journey helping people to say how they feel and ask for what they want and set boundaries in their lives. Wow. Oh, oh my God, Kim. I'm just like taking in everything you just said. It is so brilliant. How interesting also the way you connected the dots for all those different jobs. Also, I'm very curious about the inventor's assistant, by the way. Um, I've never heard that job before, and that's amazing. Um, but how it all of them, really at the core of what people actually needed help with, was how, like you said, how do they show up and ask for what they really wanted? That's fascinating, which of course, and I hear that a lot as a coach myself, whether I'm doing career coaching, writing coaching, leadership coaching, fat acceptance coaching, it's all, of, it, there is, because that's what creates so much strife in our worlds, right? Within our own sphere is this person is doing this thing that I don't like, or I'm struggling in this certain way. How do I like, how do I deal with it? Yep. Huh. That's so interesting. I love that you just connected all those dots for me. I think part of that is because I'm autistic and I didn't know that until um, this year. I'm on day like 270 or something since my autism diagnosis as of today when we're recording this. Oh. Um, but part of, for me, part of being autistic is having really amazing pattern recognition. And so I'm over here like, isn't this obvious? This is what all of this has in common. And everyone else is like, how did you see that? <laughs> you? So uh, I think that's part of where it comes from is looking at all of the roles I've had. I'm like, oh, everybody asks me these questions. Um, for a little while, I did orgasm education, which is exactly what it sounds like. And I was like, yes, let's talk about arousal non-concordance. Like, let's talk about which sex toys are the most fat friendly. Like, I was like, I have things to share. And people are like, how do I set boundaries with this partner? How do I tell this partner I do or don't like this thing in bed? And I was like, oh, okay. Yes, we can talk about that too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. That's fascinating. So 
Oh, I, I now want to talk about just orgasms, but maybe we'll <laughs> maybe we'll come back. Maybe we'll come back to orgasms and fat friendly toys. Um, <laughs> I'm like, that could be a separate episode. I will. <laughs> oh my god! Please, please, sex toys for fat people. So good. <laughs> Um, so I am curious, we're definitely going to dive into boundaries, but I do love to start out asking about your relationship to the word fat and the journey that you've gone through with that. Absolutely. So I am on the tall side. I'm five, nine, but I always thought I was a shorty because my little sister who's younger than me is six, one, my mom's five, 11, my dad is six foot. And so my self-perception was that I was short and by extension, I was like, oh, I'm short and I'm small. And then I grew up and went out into the world and was like, oh, <laughs> no, that is not true. I am <laughs> taller than most women. And also I have like, I'm proportionate, like I'm a sturdy frame. And then um, in my early 20s, I was married for a very brief time, three years. And during that period, he left for six months of military training and I lost my mind. I was not okay. I was trying to be supportive, but it was really, really hard. And so I went through that phase. um, And so I gained like 60 or 70 pounds in six months. And so suddenly I went from being able to shop anywhere, fit anything, all of that to now I was like, Oh, I'm like getting out of breath, walking across the parking lot. Like I can't shop most places. I was like, Oh, like I'm fat now. And so I sat down with myself and I said, okay, self, <laughs> can self. I want to fall in love with this. I want to be so okay with this, that if my body never changes, that I am perfectly happy. And so I went on this journey and I made a list of different activities that I could do to help me find my love, find my joy for this new fat body that I was experiencing. And like one of the things I did was I printed off a lot of photos of other fat bodies that were similar to mine or fatter than mine um, from people that I was following on social media and I like made a collage and hung it on my bathroom wall and to see the beauty and to celebrate, you know, the way this body looks. Another thing I did was I followed a lot of fat activists and plus size influencers on social media and just like unfollowed anybody who was sharing things that made me feel gross about myself Mm -hmm. and really filled my feed with like, Oh, this is like, this is normal. This is what humans look like. This is okay. And I changed like my phone wallpaper to that. Um, oh my gosh, what's this called? I just call it the Venus statue, but like that really ancient, like for yes. you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Like, and so like, that was my phone wallpaper. Um, and then the, the thing that really shifted it though, was I posed nude for an art class. I've never oh. posed nude for anything in my life. Like this was way out of my comfort zone, was not somebody who'd ever done that. But I was like, no, I am determined. And one of the artists, while I was posing, he's like, you know, really appreciate you coming in to pose for us today. And he's like, I love bodies like yours Mm. because they're so interesting, like the curves and the rolls and all that. He's like, your art, like this is art. And I had this moment, whereas before I was like, oh, fat is negative. And then I moved it like that comment shifted my brain to like, oh, this is art. This is interesting. And now I can see the artistry and the interest of like, oh yes, my curves dip this way or my, you know, the fat hangs over my belly this way or my thighs, you know, have these dimples in these places. And so I began to see my body and my existence as art. And since then I've gained another 
I don't know, probably like 40 or 50 pounds. And so now I'm like squarely in the like, I'm a fat person category, can't shop a lot of places. Like it's, um, you know, have asked for seatbelt extenders on airplanes, like all of that. And, you know, certain restaurants, I'm like, oh, we can't sit in those chairs. They're not fat friendly. And I'm like, if I sit on this camping folding chair, it's going to break. Like I'm a fat person and doctors make comments. People make comments. You know, I get comments on my TikTok every day where they're like, well, if you didn't look like this, that, and the other, like maybe people would listen to you. And I'm like, oh, okay. Did you notice that like you have a, a username with like numbers after it and 23 followers and I have 250,000 followers. Like, <laughs> right. but this journey of like, I love being fat. I love identifying as fat. I sometimes I'll use other words like curvy or things like that to make other people comfortable depending on the setting. But for me, like, yeah, I'm fat. I love it. I love being fat. This has been I love my body so much more now than I ever did before. And I look back on pictures of before and I'm like, I wasn't happy. Yeah. Like I, I didn't, um, I'd never done the work to fall in love with myself. And now I'm just like, yeah, mm. this is awesome. I don't ever yeah. want to change. Like <laughs> people go, how much weight do you want to lose if you start exercising? And I was like, zero, zero pounds. Like this is perfect. I'm not changing an inch. And I, I love being fat. And wow. so my goal was accomplished. I love this so much that if it never changes, I am perfectly happy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that answer so much. And I'm so curious about that moment. You said like you had gained some weight because mm -hmm. your husband at the time was gone and yeah. you decided like you actually decided, no, no, I'm not going to reject this. I'm going to move forward with it. Can I ask what, because that's a pretty unusual reaction, <laughs> to, you know, just in our society, right? And how we're, you know, I find when I, the more people I talk to, I find they get to that point, but it's after like a lot of struggle and a lot of like ups and downs with body. And then at some point over the journey of a couple of years, they hit a point of like neutrality and then it also, then it moves into acceptance and love. But it sounds for you like it was quite a bit more sudden. I'm just, that's amazing to me. Do you, do you know what it was? Yeah. So for me, like I am scientifically minded, like I love projects. And so when I started noticing, you know, this shift where I was like, none of my clothes fit, I don't know where to shop anymore. I feel unfamiliar with my body. You know, my, um, my doctor at the time was like, Oh, you know, do you get out of breath going upstairs? And I was like, I take the elevator. And he's like, no, but like when you can't take the elevator. And I was like, I don't go to those places. <laughs> he's like, okay, what if you're walking across the parking lot? I said, I park close. <laughs> like I have, I have parking angels who mm -hmm. give me front row parking. Like I don't, I don't walk across the parking lot. He did not really appreciate those answers. He did I was just funny. I thought I was, but like, I, I realized that, you know, I was kind of standing at the, you know, the road diverges in the yellow wood moment of like, oh, I can go down this path and hate this. Like I can hate this new body. I can hate this experience. I can, you know, lean into this self-loathing. That's a possibility, but I'm a naturally curious scientific person and it was so sudden. So I think the, the gift in gaining 65 to 70 pounds in six months was it almost felt like I went to sleep one day as a thin person and woke up the next to stay as a fat person and was like, Oh, 
I like this is now I'm at a crossroads. Like, what do I want to do? And so it was so sudden. I was so curious. And so the, to answer your question, it was, I chose curiosity instead of fear. I chose yes. instead of self-loathing. You know, I chose curiosity instead of hatred and buying into all the bullshit that people have about fat bodies. And I was like, huh, this is interesting. It is different. It feels different. I exist in a different space now and I'm going to choose to be curious about this and choose to make my peace with it. Because my theory was if I was like hating it the whole time, whether or not it ever changed, I would not be having fun. <laughs> oh, you chose curiosity. Oh, Cammy. <laughs> I just, I just have to pause for a second and breathe that in. Cause that's incredible. And I love how it feels so clear when you say it. I chose yeah. curiosity over fear. Mm, fuck yeah. That's what I want to say. So, so good. <laughs> I, you know, and it's so interesting, this idea of curiosity over fear, because I feel like there must be a connection into boundaries, because I feel like boundary setting is a lot of choosing something else over fear. As uh, I was saying before we start recording, um, and anyone who knows me who's listening will know this about me, but I have been a people pleaser my whole life. It was literally a survival skill that I developed um, for a lot of different reasons and was excellent at it, have been excellent at it. You know, I was great in sales and all the roles that I did. And I always would, I would, it was funny. I used to count this as a strength. And it's not that it's not a strength, but I would say things like, well, I'm like a chameleon. I can really get along with anyone because I can shift who I am to blend with them, to make myself more palatable. So I now know that <laughs> what I was actually doing was giving away all my own power, giving away all my own needs, all my own desires, um, and really living largely from that place of people pleaser and feeling really good about it because it was so rewarded. So it was very shocking for me, first of all, to realize those people pleaser. Second of all, to then think, oh, okay, well now I have to start setting boundaries if I want to stay authentic and true to myself and mm -hmm. my needs. Oh shit, I'm terrified because it involves setting boundaries. And I was filled with fear for years as I started very tentatively setting boundaries and making lots of messes and then realizing and learning that I could clean them up. And if a relationship was going to break because I set a boundary, well, that wasn't a great relationship anyway. But like that whole curiosity over fear, I felt so keenly in those early days of boundary setting. And so I would, I'm really curious to hear from you. Like, do you feel like, was that part of what allowed you to become a boundary coach and how I'm just so curious about that work that you do. I'd love to hear a little more about it. Yeah. So there's lots of different ways to define boundaries. For me, I define boundaries as a communicated expression of what's okay and what's not okay. So like a fence, like a physical fence at a property line, that's a communicated expression that like, hey, this is where the line is. Like, it's not okay to go past this. So that's a physical boundary. Or if I like shake my head, no, that is like a nonverbal boundary. It's a communicated expression. And that is a broader definition than some people use. Um, another popular definition of boundaries is like, oh, a boundary is only what you can control, not what the other person needs to do. And 
I um I get why people love that idea. We love the things that we can control. Like, oh yeah. my gosh, <laughs> such a yummy thought, right? Like, <laughs> I can set boundaries and it's only what I can control. Um, I have found that for most people who are new to learning boundaries, the um, the nuances of like, oh, like, please don't raise your voice at me versus like, if you raise your voice at me, I will leave the room. Like, mm-hmm. they... Uh, it's almost like they overswing it, like they swing it too far. And so they're just, they don't have the confidence yet in their boundary setting to just be like, those, those basically mean the same thing unless you overdo it. And they're like, oh, but like, if, if they, if you raise your voice to me, I'm leaving the room. And I was like, okay, now it sounds like we're giving people ultimatums and trying to control them by saying that we're doing only what I can control. And I, <gasps> oh, that's I, what I do, Cammy. That's what I do. <laughs> Oh, we got to talk about that after. <laughs> I have swung. I think I was saying before we start recording, I was like, I feel like in some ways there's certain boundaries I've set where I've swung too far and I feel it, but I kind of don't know what to do about it. So I love that you just mentioned that. That's that's exactly it. I'm like, that's it. You're out of my life forever. We're done. <laughs> and I, that's really common. Um, and it's because people are new. And when we're new at something, you know, we have high enthusiasm, but low experience. And so we're bringing all this enthusiasm to the table and like, yeah, this is what we're going to do. And if you raise your voice at me, I don't want to talk to you anymore. And um, so I do like that other definition of boundaries. I would say it's like a level three, like it takes skill and nuance. And most of the clients I work with that that's not helpful. Like if you're already really experienced with boundaries, yes, we can dive into the logistics of that. But for most people, they, they are not even saying, please don't raise your voice at me. Mm-hmm. Like that, like that's already a huge step. Yes. And so it's like they gear themselves up to be like, I feel so uncomfortable saying, please don't raise your voice at me that I'm going to push it too far and say, you know, if you raise your voice at me, I'm not talking to you anymore. And so I like to back it up from there. And I promise this relates to curiosity versus fear. So back it up from there. Most of the time, if something is not okay, people are silent. Like that's, if that's how you weren't raised in a family with boundaries, people are silent. And then, so the step between silence and like, oh, please don't raise your voice at me and being really direct. The middle step is indirect. And I find that really valuable because what I've noticed is people are aiming for direct and then they go to extreme. Yes. Does that make sense? Like hundred percent. Yeah. They're going from silence and they're aiming for direct and then they overshoot it and end up in extremes. And so I encourage my clients, if you're at silence, step to indirect. If you're at indirect, then we step to direct, like take it sequentially because then you won't ever hit those extremes. And that's oh. not to say that some people won't be offended by your boundaries and you will have to be like, yeah, if you're going to keep doing that, then we can't spend time together. But most of the time it just goes a lot smoother. And so when people are setting boundaries from a space of fear, that's often where they overshoot it. Yeah. Either stay silent or they overshoot to an extreme. But if you're coming at it from a space of curiosity, you can very gently with yourself and with others, you know, with lots of compassion, move from like, oh, silence to indirect, Uh indirect to direct. And then start developing those boundary setting muscles. Yeah. Okay. I have two questions. I'm going to start with this one, which is, so 
you gave examples of silence to the kind of the overshooting it Mm -hmm. uh, around like, don't raise your voice at me. I also want to leave the room. What is from silence to indirect? What's an indirect example with that example? An indirect example would be you're, um, you're speaking really loudly. Oh, well, isn't that just interesting? Because like that's still saying that, but it's not saying that, you know, indirect way of saying it. Yeah. And I'm just thinking about like, it may not put them back into the defensive mode or back into the heels like an ultimatum would. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So you're speaking really well, like saying what you're noticing. Yeah. Uh, 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 uh. Okay. So now I want to weave in fatness because I love all this. And my brain is like trauma, trauma, trauma. Um, because, oh, so I'll give an example. Um, mom, if you're listening, I'm sorry, but this is the example that's coming in my mind, which is that for years, like, and this is years and years ago when I was kind of starting to come to terms with being a fat person and being okay with it. I had to set some boundaries um, with, and I'll just, you know, specifically my mom, but there are other family members where I was like, look, if you ask me about my body or if you ask me about like, how is exercising going or whatever, all these kind of weight loss type behaviors, I like, I can't have that conversation right now because I'm on this journey towards acceptance. And those questions don't feel like they're (laughs) meant from an acceptance point of view. And they trigger me and it's really hard. So I told my mom, I said, if you ask those questions, I am going to have to hang up the phone. And I was so, it was like one of the first big boundaries I set with my mom. And I think I spent a year hanging up on my mom um, because I was just like, mom, you're doing it again. And I would get so mad and I would be like, I told her I would hang up. Now I have to hang up the phone. And I would like hang up the phone. It would be dramatic. And because it was coming from a place, it was coming from fear. There was no curiosity on my part. It was like fear. It was self-protection. It was coming from a place of trauma in terms of like, how do I, like protection, safety. Um, I, I can't, I can't have that in here. So, and I think this, I, I feel like that cocktail that includes need for safety, um, trauma activation and triggers mm-hmm. all come into this is and specifically we're talking about people who live in flat fat and plus size bodies how do we i don't know i have a hard time coming to curiosity when i'm in that place yeah let's talk about that so um, your fear is valid like we exist in a world that is you know full of anti-fat bias people are fat phobic like it's um, the number of times people have, you know, said things like, oh, I'd rather die than look like you. Oh, like, God, yes. And so um, it's kind of like the water that we are all swimming in that we're like, hey, this is toxic. And everyone's like, but it just is. It just and so is. when you <laughs> wake up to that, it can feel lonely. It can feel frightening. It can be like, oh, no, there's like systemic problems here about like who gets hired for what job based on how much you weigh. Like it's a big thing. And so to, um, I would invite anybody, you know, who's like, wait, I, I just feel the fear. I can't find the curiosity. Have lots of self-compassion. Your fear is valid. This is a really fucked up situation. Like you're, you're not wrong. Um, and so creating space that you're like, oh, I feel my fear. I feel this fear. And it's not, or it's an, and like, and, as I breathe through this, you know, 
vent it out, write a poem, you know, burn some shit, whatever it is. Like <laughs> then it's um, all emotions have like a, an arc, you know, an intensity and then they release. And if you go through that process of releasing it until it gets re-triggered, you have space for curiosity. And uh -huh. what I love about curiosity is that it is self-fueling because the minute you hop on that train, it's like, ooh, but what about this? But what about that? But what about that? So like my question for your mom, you know, to approach that same situation that you gave, that same story with curiosity would be after the first, maybe the second time after you had to hang up on her on a different day, on a different phone call, be like, hey, mom, I wanted to ask you, the last two times we chatted on the phone, you brought up my weight, you brought up my exercising, even though you know that's something I don't want to talk about anymore. Why did you do that? And if you can come from pure curiosity, people genuinely don't get defensive. If you're being snarky or sarcastic and being like, why are you being awful? People will get defensive, it doesn't work. But if you're genuinely curious, they can yeah. feel it. And they often don't get defensive. And she'll be like, oh, I'm really worried about you. And you're like, okay, what are you worried about? I'm worried that you're gonna forget or <laughs> whatever, like, whatever the worry is. And you're like, yeah. promise I'm not. Like, and yeah. so it's, um, instead of spending a year hanging up on your mother, it would have happened once or twice and been like, mom, like, let me, let's resolve whatever this underlying concern is that is making her literally not be able to resist saying the thing that she knows upsets you that you keep hanging up on her for. Like, I'm, I'm genuinely curious. Like, I wish we could travel back in time in this moment and call up your mom and be like, hey, what's up with that? Like, why... <laughs> Are you having a bad day about your body that you're projecting that onto your child? And so you need to work through your own issues. Like what is, where is this coming from? And then it's not, you wouldn't keep being triggered. It's still not fun if she does it, but like you wouldn't have to be angry about it because you're like, Oh, mom is having a bad body day. And so she's pointing questions at me or someone said something to her or whatever. We don't know. I don't know why your mom kept doing that, but that's weird. Right? Like, had to hang up on her for a year. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. Yeah, yeah. Still, I've still like left the house recently <laughs> at certain times. Yeah, and you know, it's so interesting, Kimmy. I love how you said. And as soon as you were like, "Oh, well, this is what I would ask her," I was so struck by. It. I was like, "Well, that's so reasonable. Of course, I could have <laughs> done that." But you know, and it's funny because I am also everything you're saying is so beautifully aligned with what people would call like a coach approach, where you start from curiosity, you ask open-ended questions. And as a trained coach, I'm sitting here going, huh, <laughs> it really is different. I can do this with my clients. It is still really hard for me to get into that curious space with certain people. You know, it's really, I think. I think maybe that's the personal work to do first, which I just speaking from my experience, I absolutely am trying to like really do some, and I, again, fortunately have a wonderful therapist. We were talking about therapists before we started. I've got an amazing therapist who I'm working with to lessen that immediate activation that happens in, inside of me and all curiosity, all groundedness, all of like, who I come, who I feel I am now as a person disappears so that I can return and come back to that place of curiosity. It's, it's really hard though, with certain people in my life. Is that something that you've experienced with your clients? There's usually just like, like, I don't, I, yeah, I feel like this will always be a challenge for me and my mom, other people I can do it, but there's something deeper there. 
I, for me, I found a, a sense of Zen in being like, Oh, this might not ever be easy. And there's just some, Oh, kind of like when you, like if you hate doing the dishes and every time you have to go do the dishes, you're like, Oh, this is the worst. <laughs> like that makes doing the dishes harder. And if you're like, Oh, I will probably never enjoy this. So I'm going to find ways to make this a little bit more joyful. You know, I'm listening to a favorite music or I got a bubble machine or I have cute gloves or whatever, whatever it is. But I love that. Like finding a way to be like, Oh, this might not ever be easy. So I'm going to reset my expectations to like tolerable and moving forward. And there's some type of alchemy that happens. Like, so if you really sat with it and accepted like, yeah, my mom and I will probably never see eye to eye about weight and bodies. My mom will probably never come to a space of acceptance of my body or her body. And there's nothing I can do about that. It frees you. Like it just, Oh, this is a thing. And I think, overall, um, with clients, like something that I notice a lot when people start getting into setting boundaries is there's this tendency to take people who struggle with boundaries, broadly speaking, often take individual responsibility for systemic problems. Let me explain what that means. Yes. Love that. Like when, you know, if your doctor is being fat phobic to you, your doctor is the one with the problem. So when my doctor has, like I had a doctor that did, you know, said fat phobic things, my self-talk, my inner narrative was like, wow, that is something they need to unpack. They need to deal with that. They have a problem. I didn't go home with any, like, I'm a problem. There's nothing wrong with me. The doctor's fucked up. And, you know, so when people are like, oh, you know, if you didn't look like a whale, people would take your advice more on the internet. And I'm like, wow, they are buying into a systemic anti-fat bias narrative that has nothing to do with me. They have work to do. This is not about me. They have a problem. And so it doesn't push my buttons because I'm right. I am amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I love that. I love the distance that creates, Cammie. That's really beautiful. It's like, yeah, I often ask myself, okay, what's mine and what is theirs? And then just like creating that distance, creating that separation it brings a bit of breathing sp- space and groundedness back so that the curiosity piece can come back too. Yeah. And I, I love the ocean analogy. It's one that really resonates with me as a Scorpio and, you know, with a Pisces, <laughs> with all the water. Of course you're a Scorpio. That totally right? makes sense. I love it. <laughs> and so this idea of like, I know that we are fish in water and other people, when they say stuff, I'm like, Oh, they don't know there's water. Like yeah. that's, that's what I'm hearing. You know, the doctor who's being fat phobic, he doesn't know about the water. That person commenting on the internet, they don't know about the water. You know, your mom, she doesn't know about the water. And so we're sitting over here like, you know, the water's toxic, right? And they're like, no, there is no water. This is just life. And I was like, yeah, we're fish. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're fish in, a wa- in an ocean of anti-fatness and like, there's nothing wrong with me as a fish the water. There's something wrong with the water. Yeah. I love that. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. That's such good advice. It really is. It brings so much. It can, it can bring a lot of ease. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like this is one of those things that we just, we have to keep practicing like over and over and over again. It's not like it's a one-time deal and suddenly I won't be triggered or we won't be triggered by certain people or activated in that way. But it's that reminder of, oh yeah, right. Cause this is a systemic issue and I don't need to take responsibility for everyone else 
who's being impacted by the system. And also, I don't need to expect them to change because there's a really interesting thing that happens too, where I'm like, but I'm telling you the water is toxic. Believe me, why don't you believe me? And then I get mad at them for not wanting to realize that the water is toxic, right? And then and then I just take all that on. So it's it's like, it just spirals from there. So that's why I love this idea of like stopping it, creating distance and yeah, br bringing back curiosity in those ways. And that, that concept of choosing curiosity over fear, I use it all the time in those moments. So if I'm feeling this need to like, um, like really explain to somebody and just like make sure they understand. And then I could be like, Oh, I'm feeling really intense yeah. about this. Like I'm feeling this intense level of responsibility for this random stranger on the internet that they need to know this thing. And I'm like, huh, why, why do I feel so intense about this? I'm like, Oh, I'm a little bit hungry. I'm a little bit tired. You know, this person I was flirting with hasn't texted me back. So my energy's a little off and I want someone to, you know, it's a hot button issue for me if people don't, um, I don't feel like they're listening to me. Like they don't understand yes. this compulsive, like, is there any possible way I can over explain this to make sure they understand? But if people are refusing to listen, like there's literally nothing to do. And so I yeah. know that about myself and I'm like, oh, that's why. So for me in that moment, I chose curiosity instead of being like, ugh. This person is a jerk. They're not listening to me. Like, it's not about them. I just got curious, got a little quiet. I was like, I'm going to get a snack. I'm going to put my phone down, be off the internet, and text that person back who I was waiting for them to text me and move on with nice. my day. I love that. Oh, I'm feeling so inspired. Thank you. <laughs> it's so good. It's so, I love it. I love it. I think that's so helpful, everything you just said. Um, can we do some scenarios, Cammie? Yes, you have, I would love that. Yay, because you have a boundary flashcard deck. And these, these, and it's, I think, 40, right? 40 different cards, and they're designed, I love this, on your website. It's, they're designed to be kind and direct, and I love that combo. Um, so, okay, so first scenario, um, and actually, this is from Aubrey Gordon, who I'm, like, super fan. I adore if you know Aubrey, tell her I want to interview her. I don't know. I don't know if uh, it's, it's, it's Aubrey's one of my dream guests as well. So um, I'm just putting that out into the universe, see if we can make that happen. So Aubrey, in Aubrey's book, uh, what we don't talk about when we talk about fat, by the way, Aubrey has a new book coming out soon. So everyone pre-order, but their first book, I forget Aubrey's pronouns. Are they she or they? Do you know? I realized I said she, so I apologize if those aren't the right pronouns. I'm just catching myself in the moment here. Um, so Aubrey opens up the book talking about when, um, I'm going to use they just to be safe, when they were grocery shopping and someone actually came and like removed items yeah. from the cart. So this whole idea of a stranger making a comment or doing some kind of action when you're in this, you know, what's supposed to be a pretty innocuous activity, like grocery shopping. Okay. Cami boundary. What do we do in that situation? <laughs> oh, I love that question. And I remember when I read that chapter in the book, I was like, 
Oh, and I actually um, sent like a screenshot because I had it on Kindle. I sent like a screenshot of it to several of my thinnest friends who like have their own weirdness. I was like, hey, did you know this is a thing that happens to fat people? And they were like, oh, really? And I was like, yeah, I just had the plague. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Reality check. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you did not know this is a thing. So like I, I very vividly remember um, that chapter in that story because I had a lot of conversations with people about it. So I love systemic thinking and, you know, like we're talking about with the water and the fish. And so if someone did that, my self-talk, my inner narrative is like, wow, they do not know the water is toxic. Like I'm not the problem. They are the problem. Like it's not me, it's them. Mm -hmm. And so how weird are they being? Like how rude are they being to overstep? the personal space of another human, a stranger in public and impose their own toxic whatever on me, like an attempt to do that. That is incredibly odd. Like that is such an odd thing for them to do. How bizarre, like how bizarre. <laughs> and so, um, I, hmm, in that moment, that's the energy I'm bringing to the interaction. And yeah. so the words I would say would be like, that's really weird that you just grabbed something out of my cart. Mm. Like, oh, did you want me to point you to where the shelves were for that? So like, <gasps> oh, I love that. That's a beautiful indirect. Yeah. Like, are you in such a hurry? You needed to take my marshmallows <laughs> when like, they're just too over? <laughs> like what's, what's going on with you that you are having a problem here? That is incredibly odd behavior. And if they, you know, continued in their narrative of like, oh, you don't need to eat something like this. I, a more direct response would be, um, I mean, when we were talking about there's like silence, right? Like shock silence. That's valid. If some people are, that's how they would respond in that situation. Indirect is like, oh, did you need marshmallows? Like, <laughs> like that's, you know, indirect. Direct would be, um, I like, you don't need to police my cart. Like that's incredibly odd that you took food out of a stranger's grocery cart. If you continue to touch my belongings, I am going to call security. Like that's weird, right? Like they're being weirdos. The, the, to swing it to an extreme, which in certain settings, like if you know, that feels necessary, it'd be like, back the fuck off, get mm. away from my cart. Like, and that's valid as well. Like they're being incredibly bizarre and they broke the social contract. Yes. Contract. That's not okay to take stuff out of other people's grocery carts. We don't do that as humans. Like that's just not our culture, at least not white people in the United States, which is, you know, the part of the culture I'm familiar with. Um, but as far as I know, it's like not a thing. We don't grocery shop out of other people's carts. That's weird they broke the law. And so well, I was going to say, I really love, okay. Cause here was what I heard you do when you said, I like to do it from a systemic thinking perspective. You did not say you didn't get in an argument over why you need marshmallows. It was, these are my belongings. This is my cart. You broke the social contract. It wasn't at, you just took it completely away from what the assumption is, is that they're judging body. It's not about body at all. Interesting. I love that. Yeah. 
I, people who don't know, so going back to our analogy of like, you know, we're all fish swimming in this anti-fat bias ocean that's toxic. If they don't know the ocean is toxic, the type of person who's going to take something out of my cart in a grocery store aisle, that is not someone I can be like, hey, you know, the ocean is toxic, right? right. Like, it's not okay. <laughs> um, they're not in a receiving place to learn about like anti-fat bias and why like the BMI is bullshit and like, you know, the race, racial implications of anti-fat and like all the things like they don't want to know that information. They're having their day where for whatever reason, um, they felt like that would make them feel better about their lives, their journey, whatever to police my choices. And they felt justified in that. And so I'm not going to get into that discussion with them to be like, that's like, they're wrong, hundred percent wrong to do that. And so I'm just going to focus on like, huh, they don't know that the water is water and they're being weird. That is incredibly weird thing to and do. And that's what you call out as opposed yeah. to trying to argue about I get to have marshmallows for these reasons. And they're like, no, you don't because you're fat. And then suddenly now you're both arguing about the toxicity, the toxic water. Yeah. I'm not going to be able to, to convince them that like, well, these marshmallows are fat free and it's fine. And my, I, my doctor said I'm healthy and I do exercise. I do not have to justify, argue, defend, or explain my existence to anybody. They get to fuck all the way off. Like, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. So yeah, another scenario would be, cause again, I, I, these scenarios are all like I've experienced them or people I've talked to have experienced them. So this, this one is, so you're at the gym or like some kind of like yoga class or whatever, doing some kind of physical movement. Um, or maybe you're, I've also heard about this people like just walking down the street and people are like way to go. You're going to get there. Or, you're so brave. Keep on trying this. Like, very assumptive people think they're being encouraging oh this one is so gross and it's usually a bit of like a drive-by they're either you're kind yeah. of like it's quick it's quick in and out you know they're either in a class they're walking by you something is there anything to say or I'm curious about what you would say because I love this idea of oh yeah right this is them blah 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 what would you say in that moment would you say anything or do you just let this go for me personally, um, I have had that happen and I laugh, not because it's necessarily like ha ha funny, but like how utterly bizarre that they think that because of my body shape, my body type, they know anything about like why I showed up for yoga today or why I'm on this treadmill or whatever. Like they don't know that I'm out here trying to increase my cardiovascular fitness so I can fuck my partner better and not get out of breath if we're doing <laughs> upside down, like all kinds of karma. Please tell me that's what you said to them. <laughs> <laughs> like they don't know that I'm out here communing with the trees as I'm going on this walk and like having a conversation about the witchy solstice. Like they don't know, like they're making assumptions and that's, that's very odd to the um so the part that makes me laugh is like the pure audacity of thinking you know anything about humans based on just like a brief interaction or a brief like wow they're on a treadmill they must be fat they must be trying to lose weight they probably hate their body i am a good person so i'm going to say something encouraging and be like good for you fat person like <laughs> not just like i know so weird. Anyone listening, never do this. 
never ever don't encourage fat people like it's bullshit <laughs> so if it was not a drive-by and it was someone like they're in my yoga class i'm gonna see them again every week like we're gonna have an interaction the scripting i would use is so if it's drive-by i would probably just laugh um and not like be like okay that's weird but someone that i'm like oh i'm gonna keep having that interaction um, I, I had that, I was in a yoga class and the teacher would always say encouraging things to me as the one fat person in the class that she wasn't saying to anybody else in the class. And mm. <laughs> I, I got a chance. I pulled her aside after class, after it happened like two or three classes in a row. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I said, Hey, um, you know, I, I'm not gonna say what her name was. So we'll just, um, call her Jen for the sake of this. Um, so I was like, Hey Jen, I think that your intention is to be encouraging and I really appreciate that. Unfortunately, the impact mm. of singling me out um, with your comments while we're in class and you're, you're commenting on my posing and my movement in a way that you're not doing for anybody else is coming across really like anti-fat and unwelcoming. And I know that that's not the energy you want to bring to your yoga class. So moving forward, I would really appreciate if you didn't do that anymore. Or if you encouraged everybody. And she went a little ashen and was super taken back because it was such an unconscious thing. She didn't realize she was only complimenting me. Like it just hadn't it hadn't occurred to her. She was just trying to be helpful. And so I call that, and it's something that in the book I'm working on writing right now, um, is the intention impact sandwich. Yes. Because the first piece of bread is the behavior. I said, when you said this thing or when you did this thing, so you describe their behavior and you say, I think what your intention was, and you describe, you know, I think that you're trying to be helpful. I think you're trying to be welcoming. I think you're, you know, whatever you think it is. And then you say, unfortunately, <laughs> impact, you know, the next piece of the sandwich, the impact of what you did was fill in the blank. And then moving forward, the behavior, the final piece of bread, the behavior I want to see is blah, 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 blah. Or can you do this? Blah, blah, blah. And so it goes behavior, intention, impact, behavior. Love. It works better with people that you have um, like an emotional closeness with or a personal relationship because you need to know them well enough to be right when you assume their intention. If it's a random stranger, you, you're guessing. You're like purely guessing and um, it comes off as like presumptuous or they get offended if you're assuming yeah. intentions that are not actually there. <laughs> yeah. And I imagine too, like it, you, there would need to be a bit of a relationship because they would need to care yeah. about their impact that they're mm -hmm. having. Yeah. I love the sandwich. It's such a great, great way to think about it. Beautiful. Oh, I love that. And then did the behavior change? Did Jen's behavior change? Yeah. 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 He went with the like, encouraging everybody after every pose direction, which I was like, that's fun. Like, <laughs> hopefully it makes the class better for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. Workplace. Oh God, workplaces. Um, this is one that has happened. I've been hearing more and more about as people are going back to the workplace, often at times in some capacity of there's a lot of hybrid working happening, but people have been at home for so long and now they're going back to the workplace. People are going for lunches together. They're eating in the lunchrooms and everybody is talking about their diet and, oh, I shouldn't eat this. Like all of that food garbage mm -hmm. talk is 
back in people's lives yeah. in a, in a way that it, it, I think we really, I think a lot of people got used to, I mean, I don't work in a workplace, <laughs> I work from home, so I don't have to experience this, but I know my friends who do work in a workplace, they got really used to never having to deal with that. And now it's like, oh God, I've got to go into the office tomorrow. What I'm going to say to my colleagues so that I don't have to be a recipient of hearing all the diet talk uh, around lunch. So that's, that's, again, we're kind of starting out and we're getting a bit closer. So now you've got colleagues, you work with these people, like, what do we do in those situations? I have a personal rule that like, I don't do diet talk. I think it's boring. And that's the energy that I bring to it is like, okay, I would prefer if we didn't do diet talk over lunch today. I just think it's you know, if they've already said diet talk, you can't just straight up call them boring because that's rude, but it'd be like, oh, it's not a topic that I'm comfortable with, or it's something I'm sensitive about, or it's just not very exciting. Like, I really want to hear about your new dog. How, you know, what breed is it? Where did you get? And you just, uh, a redirect switch. So, um, the, the, the trick there, or the secret is if you come into it, um, feeling really, really defensive, people start justifying why their diet talk is valid. And yes. so that's where what we talked about earlier, where you feel your feelings. Like that is very okay to be like, you're like, Oh, I'm anger is appropriate as a response to injustice, right? Like people are saying like, Oh, this last, all this toxic stuff and you're mad about it. You're defensive or you're uncomfortable. That's okay. So you feel those feelings and then, you know, follow through that emotional arc, mm. breathe, and just be like, okay, now we're going to say something. So maybe you don't say something that lunch because it caught you off guard that you're like, your coworker is brand new into their diet and they're like, oh, hey, I'm going to start commenting on what everybody else is eating and, you know, whatever toxicity they're dealing with. And so for the next lunch, when you all get together, be like, hey, before we get started, like, I just wanted to ask if we could make this a no diet talk lunch today. Like, let's just take a break from that. And if they're like, oh, no, I really need to talk about my diet for some reason, be like, oh, I don't want to talk about this. So if this is the topic we're going to do, I'm going to go sit over there. And that's okay. Like anybody who doesn't want to talk about diet stuff can come with me. And, you know, you might go eat by yourself. You might go eat with one person. Everybody might get up from the table except for the one annoying person. Like that would be a very dramatic thing. Hopefully that doesn't happen. But <laughs> like it's, it's something that, um, how do I say this? I read this article once by a fat sex worker talking about how she could never get hired at strip clubs because there is this expectation for what people who strip look like as performers. But she's like, I've been a very successful sex worker for decades. I have a really established clientele. And she's like, people like fat bodies, but they like them in private. They don't like them in public. And so um, there's like this weirdness around how we talk about fat and how we talk about fat bodies. Like everyone at the table might also be uncomfortable that your one coworker has started XYZ, you know, fitness program and is now like, I'm only eating these many calories and that's all I can talk about. Nobody else, like maybe everyone's enjoying that topic. Maybe they're not, but nobody wants to say anything. They're all stuck in the silence phase, right. Of saying boundaries because they're like, Oh no, this is, this is the expectation. Socially, we shame fatness. And so if you're like, hey, let's just not, like, let's just not do that. 
it like breaks that bubble and it's, it's okay. It's okay to say like, well, I don't want to talk about diets. Like let's not talk about food stuff. I want to hear about, you know, your whatever, whatever, like, you know, I haven't seen you and your hair is a new color. Did you get streaks? Like, did you get a new style? Like worst case scenario, I always go with the weather. Like, <laughs> like all of those clouds yesterday, gosh, darn it. There was lots of clouds in the sky. Like, yeah. Everything yeah. Is better. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's so interesting because in this scenario too, with workplaces, I feel like, and this is for any, you know, straight size person listening, this is where allyship can be everything. It's so hard for fat people to have to always be the ones to do this emotional labor. So for any fat people who um, have friends, they can ask, do this on their behalf, or for any straight-sized people who are listening, this is such a gift to your, and I would even say everybody, because our society, again, we're all in this water, we're all so conditioned it's and it's expected, like you said, Kimmy, to feel bad about our bodies. So having someone who is in a more non-marginalized body say, "Hey, do we have to do the diet stuff?" Oh, the relief that that would bring. So just because I know there are a lot of straight-sized people who listen to this podcast, that is one way you can really be an ally for people who live in marginalized bodies of all types. Yeah. All right, Kimmy. Oh, this one has been so in my sphere. Um, medical professionals, what is wrong with them? I've got, I'm waiting to hear back from a couple doctors. Cause I'm like, I just want to be like, what is wrong with you? Not you people. Cause they're all anti-diet, like fat yeah. positive doctors, but like the profession, I just, I've had to go through a series of doctors lately, um, because of endometriosis. So family doctors, different gynecologists, technicians, getting multiple, you know, ultrasounds and blah, blah, blah. So like lots of stuff. And oh my God, <laughs> I don't even have words. The shit that doctors say is baffling. And I have tried so many different ways of like, I've tried curiosity. I've tried, I've tried all the things. Mm -hmm. But I must be doing it wrong. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> well, how do I deal with doctors? <laughs> I I think that circles back to what we were talking about earlier with your mom and that acceptance of like this might not ever be easy. This might not be like you might not be the fish that's going to teach this fat phobic doctor to not be fat phobic today. Like you just are the fish who has to get through the water and get out of there and accepting it's it's not okay like it's really messed up that the medical system is so intensely ableist and they view fatness as like a disability you did to yourself and so there's a lot of heavy negativity around that um I think my personal theory as to why it's so pervasive is just the nature of like med school and medical training is not inclusive. It's not accessible. It's incredibly difficult for people who have any type of chronic health or disabilities or whatever. It's not that they can't become medical professionals. They just often can't make it through that training because what's glorified is you stayed up late, you studied ridiculous hours. Like it's... Um, and so they bring this energy of like, well, I did hard things and now I'm an expert and you have to listen to me. 
And I was like, eh, you did do hard things. Not just counting that. That was a lot of school. Good job. Also, <laughs> <laughs> like there are things that you don't know because you were so busy in school that you missed life. And so, like I said, I love systemic thinking. And so kind of reframing medical professionals as these like socially inept nerds who have now been given carte blanche to give their opinion all the time. All the time. Yeah. Like they, um, so I think they're not as like emotionally intelligent sometimes. And they were so busy in school. They missed some of the like systemic education of like, Hey, this is not okay. And a lot of people that they respected and paid a lot of money to told them this is what is true. And so like they got set up to fail. They failed. You as the little, you know, fat fish is not going to show up and convince them that you are right. And their doc, you know, their professor that told them like, you know, fatness is something people do to themselves and we should shame it out of them that they paid thousands upon thousands of dollars to get that information. You can't change their mind. Like, yeah. And so for me, that sets me free. Like I'm there not to change the doctor. I'm there to mitigate that interaction and how it affects me. Um, and so releasing any expectation that I'm going to change my doctor's mind on anything and focusing my boundary phrases on what is safest for me, what is most comfortable for me, you know, saying things like, I don't want to be weighed today. They're like, Oh, Hey, hop up on this scale. I was like, no, I don't want to be weighed today. It hasn't changed since last time, you know? And they're like, Oh, well, we have to weigh you. It's just part of it. And I was like, I no, decline. You don't. <laughs> I don't want yeah. to, like, it's not a thing. Um, or if they absolutely, you know, need to, for some reason, like, I don't need to know that number. Like they can write that down on their chart and they don't have to tell me. I don't want, if I don't want to know, I don't want to know. And I've had doctors say fat phobic things for sure. I think every fat person has. And I usually go into my appointments pre-framing it in a sense of like, just so you know, as we're getting started, I'm not here to talk about my body size. I'm not here to talk about my diet. I'm not here to talk about my weight. I am here to talk about, you know, X, Y, Z issue. And these are the things that I've tried. This is what I'm working on. And that has worked for me. I also have privilege as, you know, I have whiteness interacting with white doctors that I think helps with that. Um, so I cannot say that that would work for everybody to be really, you know, direct and assertive in those ways. So other options um, are if the doctor is uh, like they're blaming your health stuff on your weight instead of like doing full tests and stuff like that, you can say, oh, will you please document that in my chart that you're refusing to test me for, you know, X, Y, and Z. And so I kind of picture it like I have a little toolbox that I bring into every medical appointment where I'm like, okay, we have the pre-frame. We have the document on the chart. We have the, you know, refusal to be weighed. Like, but I'm not going to convince them that they are wrong. I like, that's not my job. That is not one of my tools. I'm not doing that. There's plenty of information on the internet and that exists in their spaces. If they want to seek out like, oh, am I wrong about this? They can go find that. I'm there with my scripts, my phrases, like yeah. that's, that's what I'm there to yeah. do. 
Oh, it's so beautiful. And I really realized what my problem is, Cami, is I do want to convince everybody. Maybe that's why I started a podcast. <laughs> Maybe that is why I'm here. Because I needed to I just... it's healthy, though. Like, this is a healthy space. It's true. This feels, this feels good. Yeah. The doctor thing, you're right. I have had to, I just speaking for myself. Um, and again, similar stories I've heard from her with people is I tried a couple times and then just realized it, there was no interest. And so it really became about what do I need to do in this visit to keep myself safe? So no, I don't need to be weighed. Do you have a arm blood pressure cuff that will fit my actual arm? Yeah. Um, you know, all of these little things to make sure it's so basically it becomes about advocating for myself, my needs, my safety. And that's the, those are the boundary. It's like drawing a boundary around myself to keep myself safe. And, and it's, you know what, since I started doing that, it really, um, it's felt very empowering to know that I can care for myself in that appointment. And I do also, like you speak from a place of privilege. I also used to work in medical offices. My dad was a doctor. So I also like know the behind the scenes. And so I'm not very intimidated by doctors. So I often go in too, because I'm very motivated by thinking that what I do can have a ripple effect and help others. So I hope that when I go in, state those boundaries, say yes and no to things that maybe it'll make it easier for someone else who doesn't have as much privilege in that situation as I do. So that also really motivates me. Um, and same with you, every time you do it, you know, you're exposing that doctor to, oh, someone is pushing back on this. Maybe I wonder why. And maybe at some point, I still have eternal hope, Cami, maybe at some point, down the line, they'll get curious and go listen to maintenance phase um, and learn all about why they're wrong about everything. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And I, another step I've taken with certain pr practitioners is I have it just noted in my chart that like, I don't talk about weight bodies or diet with them. And oh, so I like that the question that, you know, if they do bring it up and they're like, Oh, so have you tried eating more celery, which was a literal thing that a medical professional said. And I was like, and so my question back was like, oh, it seems like you didn't read my chart. Can we take a moment to do that? <gasps> Brilliant. I'm going to have it put in my chart. Yeah. I was just like, this is not like, this is not what we're here to discuss. I promise that I have people who are supporting me in those ways. And that does not include yeah. you. Like, oh, but didn't you have the urge to send them the celery juice episode for maintenance phase? <laughs> I mean, like I have a podcast episode for you. <laughs> No, no, that's bad, Sophia. That's trying to convince people again. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, how do I say this? I love working with clients. I have been doing client-facing work for over 17 years. I have a lot of experience showing up and helping people. And because of that, I have a really good sense of when people are open and ready to receive change versus not. And so I'm just not motivated to try to change people who are not ready because what I have to offer is so valuable that, you know, I'm not going to share it unless they're in a space that they want it. Oh, yes. Oh, and my people pleaser is like, but I can change them. And I'm like, I'm working. I'm working to get towards where you are, Cammy. Oh, oh, so powerful. I love this. And even like, I just am feeling into the energy of all of these ways of holding ourselves as sacred, as 
empowered and staying aligned and authentic to what is true for us. And it's, God, it's delicious to be able to just hold that space and not be thrown out of it like so often happens. It's beautiful. I have a question for you, Sophia. It's a little bit coachy. Is that okay? Yeah, totally, totally. So you've mentioned several times in this conversation that you're like, oh, my people pleaser, I'm a people pleaser. I'm curious, what is the identity that you're moving into instead of being a people pleaser? Like, what do you want to be instead? Good coaching question, Cammy. Um, let me think. <clears throat> I love this question because I'm suddenly very aware that I've just been focused on running away from pleaser. I don't know fully where, like, I don't have, I'm very, and this is so true of our saboteurs, right? Like, I feel so clear about what I'm wanting to run away from, but what would be what I'm running, what I'm wanting to step into more? I, I would actually say it is, uh, the word is a danger type, but I have to give it a little context. So um, I did this year-long, incredible, life-altering leadership program through um, a company called the uh, CTI, which is where I also did my coach training. And they had these personality type assessment. And so this one type is, they call it the danger type. It's not the best term, but it's basically people who like, shift the room. It's, I mean, it's you, Kimmy. Um, it's basically people <laughs> who shift the room with truth. They are the truth tellers. They're the people who, like you said, you, you know, people, you can see exactly what people are ready for. And there's a real acceptance of that. Whereas my natural type is what they call the charm type. That is, again, I'm really good with people. I can get along with everybody. Um, and so there's, again, there's gifts and challenges to both types. Dangers can sometimes really like scare people away, turn them off. Charms give away their own power. So I am always, I have a lot of friends who are dangers and I'm always like, oh, what would, what would so-and-so say in this situation? Right. Okay. Plant, ground, da-da. So it is more that kind of Scorpio energy. I'm a Gemini. So like more that Scorpio, more that danger type that I am working towards. And yeah, so that, that's where I'm going towards. I love what you just said about choosing into being a truth teller. And I wonder, again, this is a little bit coachy. Is that no, okay? Please coach me, coach me. Yeah, um, yeah. I wonder if instead of this idea of like, oh, I want to become a danger type when you already know that you're a charm type, that you are like a charming truth teller. <gasps> Kimmy. I have to sit with that for a second. I like being a charming truth teller. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Because it's the beautiful, the beautiful parts of being the charm type. But like, there was something about when you're describing like, oh, a danger type is like this aspirational thing that you don't think that you can become versus like you already are a truth teller. That's why you have a podcast. That's how you interact with the people you love. Like you show up as a truth teller. And so um, if you were my client, what I would say to you is, those moments where you're like, oh, I'm doing the people-pleasing thing again. You can just pause and breathe and be like, okay, what would a truth teller do? Or what would a truth teller say in this moment? Because you are utterly charming. Like that's never going away. And it's expanding your repertoire instead of switching your repertoire. Yes, I love that. Yeah, because I I mean, to, I can't, well, I shouldn't say I can't, but it would it would not be natural for me to become a full danger that it's just, it's not, it's just not my type. I mean, I am who I am and I, I really love who I am. I love that 
I can go into any scenario and talk to any person. I mean, I think that's, that's what I love about coaching. So there is, and it's so interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love this. You're sparking a whole lot for me because there are ways that I really do this in certain situations, like in service of my clients. Like I talk a lot about, I'm like your most honest mirror and also your biggest fan. So that is basically charming truth teller. Oh, so interesting, Cammy. Thank you. You're welcome. I love this. Oh, Cammy. <laughs> Everyone work with Cammy. This is brilliant. That was very good. Thank you. Thank you. I noticed the pattern. You just kept saying, I don't want to be a people pleaser. I don't want to be a people pleaser. I, I was like, what do you want to be? And so again, it's what we were talking about, choosing curiosity. Yeah. Like, I'm curious. Like, yeah. Um, you are a charming seller. I'm a charming truth teller. Yeah. I'm going to, I've written that down, circled it and put stars beside it. So I'm going to keep percolating on that because that is a beautiful way to think about what I'm wanting to even more invite in, in a way that I haven't before. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Love it. Oh, Cammie, I would now want to talk about joy. Yes. So how do you stay connected to joy? What helps you turn towards joy? What's your, what's your style? What's your vibe? How do you do it? So for me, joy is like a big energy in my life as opposed to fun is like a, is like a moment, right? Like, Oh, we're having fun in this moment and fun is more of an attitude. I could make anything fun. I just bring a fun attitude to it, even the most mundane stuff, but joy is like, it sits in my heart. And so I do my best to, do things every day that help create this life that I want to live. You know, the question is like, if I, if I had all the money, all the privilege, all the power, you know, what would, what would my life look like? And then I kind of work backwards from there and be like, Oh, you know, I would um, have like this gigantic garden. And I'm like, okay, I might not be at a space where, you know, I live in a tiny apartment. I don't have a giant garden, but I have lots of plants. So I'm going to spend time with my plants today. And so that's something I did this morning is I potted a spider plant um, that I've been propagating that I got from a friend. And it's, I love this story. I'm just going to tell you really fast because I'm so excited about it. So his mother got this plant as a gift when from his older sister when she was in kindergarten and a kindergarten teacher gave all the kindergartners little piece like pieces of the spider plant because spider plants are easy to propagate um to propagate and take them home and it was from her the kindergarten teacher's grandmother so i don't know these people right like but it's like the grandmother of the kindergartner teacher who gave it to the kindergartner who gave it to her mother 35 you know 40 years ago and now she has them all over her house and i went to visit and i was like oh my gosh i love all your spider plants and she's like do you want one and i was like Yes. And she <laughs> told me this story. And so I feel like when I planted it, you know, I've been propagating it, growing the roots out for the last couple of months. Um, I was like, Oh, like I, I just moved into a new space. And I was like, today I plant roots today. I'm planting roots in my new home. Like I'm literally planting roots. And so I love ritual. And so ritual brings me joy. I love plants. Plants bring me joy, but it's all based in this idea of you know, what is this idealized fantasy version of my life that I want? And then how can I incorporate that in my day to day? Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. 
Beautiful, beautiful, Kimmy. Um, thank you. This has been such an enlivening, enriching, and educational conversation. I feel so equipped. I imagine everyone listening is going to feel even more equipped to choose curiosity over fear, to connect to what boundaries they want to set. I'm going to take away continuing to lean into my charming truth teller. <laughs> and um, you have a book coming out. So when that book is ready to launch, will you come back and talk to us about it? And orgasms. We also have to talk about orgasms <laughs> at some point too. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. I would love to talk about fat sex with you. Like it is, oh, it's different. It's different than straight size or skinny people sex. So it is. I would love to talk about that. Yes. And we'll talk about charting your orgasms and all the things. Ooh. <laughs> oh, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. <laughs> Kimmy, thank you so much. Thank you, Sophia. This has been a pleasure. Before we go, I'd like to read a poem because poetry can reach our hearts in a different way. Poems can have us feel in a different way. And that's what this podcast is about. Expanding our hearts, deepening our empathy, and inviting in joy. So each week, you get a new poem. This poem is titled Advice to Myself, and it's by Louise Erdrich. And I love the permission this poem gives. It's an invitation to set boundaries that serve us and to step away from what doesn't support us. And it also really pushes some edges, which of course I love. Um, my conversation with Cami Orange was all about finding those spaces for curiosity, how to set kind and clear boundaries, questioning what we take as a given. So this poem felt really aligned with my conversation with Cami. Here it is. Leave the dishes. Let the celery rot in the bottom drawer of the refrigerator and an earthen scum harden on the kitchen floor. Leave the black crumbs in the bottom of the toaster. Throw the cracked bowl out and don't patch the cup. Don't patch anything. Don't mend. Buy safety pins. Don't even sew on a button. Let the wind have its way, then the earth that invades as dust, and then the dead foaming up in gray rolls underneath the couch. Talk to them. Tell them they are welcome. Don't keep all the pieces of the puzzles or the doll's tiny shoes in pairs. Don't worry who uses whose toothbrush or if anything matches at all. Accept one word to another or a thought. Pursue the authentic. Decide first what is authentic, then go after it with all your heart. Your heart, that place you don't even think of clearing out. That closet stuffed with savage mementos. Don't sort the paper clips from the screws from saved baby teeth or worry if we're all eating cereal for dinner again. Don't answer the telephone ever or weep over anything at all that breaks. Pink molds will grow within those sealed cartons in the refrigerator. Accept new forms of life and talk to the dead who drift in through the screened windows, who collect patiently on the tops of food jars and books. Recycle the mail. Don't read it. Don't read anything except 
what destroys the insulation between yourself and your experience or what pulls down or what strikes at or what shatters this ruse you call necessity. Thank you for joining me today. My hope is that you're feeling a little less alone and a little more seen. So until the next episode, you can find me on Instagram at fatjoy.life, on the website at www.fatjoy.life, and on Patreon at patreon.com slash fatjoy. Please don't forget to check out the show notes for how you can connect with my amazing guest and for the links to the poem. All right, lovely. I am sending you off with my wishes for an abundantly fat joy day. Talk again soon. Bye.